before we get started, I have some, some good news to report. To, to, there was a toilet in the ladies' bathroom that would always mess up, and um, we got a new toilet this week. So, yeah, I think, I think when Satan was kicked out of heaven, he went into that toilet. So um, that, that issue hopefully has been solved. Hopefully he, he does not remain in the next, the next one. Um, so we are continuing our series called Pure Joy, where we're looking at the book of Philippians. And uh, in Philippians, it's pretty unbelievable that Paul writes about joy so much. And joy is something I think we all could use a little bit more of, as opposed to joy, I would argue. I think we often can live with anxiety and, and, and fear. Unfortunately, it seems like that's what sells. And so that's what's the air we breathe in some ways. So what does it look like to live with more Joy, because we're going to talk over and over again in this series. Paul finds himself in prison in Rome, and he doesn't know what's going to happen with his life. And in fact, most scholars believe that he ended up dying as a result of this. So he literally just has something kind of ominous hanging over his head. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He finds himself in jail. And he's not doing some pie-in-the-sky stuff. He's not ignoring what's going on. In fact, in Philippians 1, uh, four different times he mentions chains. Like, I'm in chains. I'm in chains for Christ because of my chains. Wow, I'm in chains. He's not ignoring the fact that this circumstance is difficult and it's hard on him and it's a very real pressing matter. Psychologists say that if you want to find out like what, what is someone thinking about, just see the words that they continue to say. So Paul is aware of this situation and it's very present for him and it's something that he is dealing with. Yet, like verse for verse, the word joy or rejoicing comes up more in Philippians than anywhere else in the Bible. Paul just consistently says, yet I'm going to live with joy. I have this different perspective. I have this joy. I'm rejoicing with you. And the question that I have is, how does Paul do that? And oftentimes when it comes to church, we can get together and you get like the finger waved at you and it's like, be more like Paul. And we're like, thanks, that's not really that helpful. Uh, The thing that I want you to think about is, how was Paul like that? How did he have that perspective? Because it might help all of us to experience a little bit more joy if we were able to understand, okay, Paul's facing really difficult circumstances. I face really difficult circumstances. So what might that look like for me to have this mindset that Paul does? We looked at the beginning last week at just the two words, grace and peace, which Paul consistently opens his letters with. And I would argue that is a foundation for joy, that we would live not with a checklist holding things over everybody's heads, but that we would walk with a different perspective in our world. And then he opens uh, this letter a bit in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's that word. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He writes to this church and he says, because of your participation in the gospel, I believe that what you are are doing matters. I believe that God is at work in you. This is a really important thing, I think, as he is chained up, as he is in prison, his circumstance isn't all that good, but he writes and says, I believe, even though I'm locked up, I believe that God is still at work. That God's activity goes beyond me. One of the 
greatest people in all of Scripture is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist gets in trouble because he preaches about stuff that he shouldn't preach about. And he gets into some serious trouble. He's uh, about to be, eventually he is beheaded. And so he's rotting in a prison similar to Paul. And he sends some word basically and says, hey, Jesus, are you the right one? Because if so, break me out. I'm rotting over here. And Jesus actually says, of, of those born of a woman, which is everybody, no one's better. That one got Sean. There you go. <laughs> of those born of a woman, there's nobody that I love more than John. But I'm not coming. And tell John, like this is going to have to be enough because he's in a terrible circumstance. He's in prison. Tell John that the blind see that those who are poor basically are being lifted up. That yes, it's very difficult for him in his circumstances, in his dark cell, to understand that I'm still at work, but I'm working out here basically is what Jesus says. And this is what Paul writes with confidence. Like I'm in a difficult circumstance, but I believe that God will continue to carry out the work whether I die or not. I believe in a very big, loving God. And I'm so thankful for the partnership that we share. And as he, he writes this, this partnership, it's just, it's not a word, it's people. As he thinks about the church that, that he worked with in his ministry in Philippi, we talked uh, last week briefly about Lydia, who's described in Acts chapter 16. If you go to that, that slide for me, in Acts 16, it says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This passage is telling us that Lydia is a person of means. She is a dealer in purple cloth. Purple was the, the nice, expensive stuff. So she's a person of means. And not only that, but she's also got some persuasive ways about her. Because if you think about a very persuasive person in human history, it's Paul. And there seems to be some indication we don't necessarily want to go over to the house. And Lydia's like, I'm going to get you to come anyway. Like She's the kind of person that could sell ice to an Eskimo kind of person. She's like really good at, at inviting her. And so when Paul writes about this partnership as he was doing ministry uh, in Philippi, he would have thought of her. He would have thought of the, the jailer that we talked about last week. He would have thought of those people and the relationships that he has. And he says, it's with confidence that as I think of you and I think of, of her and I think of all of these people, it's with confidence that in some ways, even if I die, I'm handing you over to God. Because I believe even if my life ends, God will continue to work on you. What is that like in your field of work? Maybe you've mentored someone in your industry. Perhaps you're a teacher and you've had the experience of having someone come back 10 or 15 years later with a mustache and they're all successful. You had no idea that was even possible for that person, but you're just blown away. Is there anybody who you've poured your life into that you would write about like this. Where you would just say, remember the partnership that we had when I, I met you by that river? We had conversations about God. 
I don't even really want to go to your house, but you're just so persuasive, Lydia. And I have all these purple leggings because of it. (laughs) Remember the memories that we have, and I believe that God is going to continue to work in your life. Paul continues. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be a pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. As I think of Paul writing this, it's just like it's beaming out of him, basically. He has this this joy about this group of people, and he's so invested in who they are. It's almost like he's not even locked up, right? It's like he's just just writing as he cares so much. He says, you you are in my heart. It's because I care so deeply about you. He writes with this incredibly persistent hope. And hopefully, uh, none of us are, are currently serving prison time. If so, like maybe we should get you back there. But hopefully none of us are in that experience where you're actually like inside a cell uh, right now. But I think we all, figuratively, are in some sort of cell. Something that we would probably say, like if we were like deeply honest, if we were to really confess, like this is really what's going on in my heart, Life would be better if this was improved. You know, fill in the blank. I would be more joyful if if my marriage was better. If I was out of debt. If I wasn't single. If we were able to have kids. We all have circumstances, and sometimes there are things that I think we can put on ourselves And sometimes it's things that have happened to us that I think can confine us and limit our joy. Paul writes in the situation that we all have. Our lives are stressful. There's things going on. There are issues that we have. One of the worst things that Jesus says that's also very true is in this world you will have trouble. He's honest. It's not just like fake. In this world you will have trouble. What is that for you? that can rob you of your joy, that can hold you back. I was watching a a baking TV show because I'm a good husband, and um, on, on that show a few weeks ago, the character said, we all need five minutes per day where we take the load off of our lives and put it to the side. I think we all need that. Maybe more than five minutes. But whatever it is that can trap you, the things that can weigh you down, the things that make your life stressful, we all need five, maybe 10, maybe 15, maybe 30. We need some time where we acknowledge, yes, this is difficult. 
yes, this is hard for me to deal with. This is maybe excruciating. I don't know if I can even take another step. I don't know how I'm going to continue on in this, but I'm going to set this aside for five minutes and trust God to handle it. And maybe then I have to put it back on because it's very hard for me. I have a difficult life. But for five minutes, ten minutes, what would it look like for you to set that stress aside? To not just let it hang around you all the time? Because sometimes prisoners are actually free and sometimes free people are actually in slavery in prison, right? What would it look like for you? Paul writes elsewhere, and I think this is where this source comes from. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me, right? That's later. I'll get to that in a little bit. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Basically, I think he has this perspective. He has this thought of, what's the worst that can happen? They can kill me? I still am going to participate in the life that God has for me, and I'm going to understand that these things that are maybe right in my face, I'm going to think about what brings me joy. I'm going to think about God continuing to work in the world. One of the greatest things that I think we need a better understanding of, uh, one of our favorite passages is is generally Church of Christ people is Acts 2.38, which talks about how the crowd responds to Peter's sermon, and he says, "'Repent and be baptized.'" In the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And generally, I would say, across Western Christianity, we kind of stop there. And that's really important. That's awesome. Forgiveness of sins is such a central part of the message of the gospel. But there's another part of that. Peter continues and says, And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which is just fantastic news. And that is like what then we carry with us. When we are baptized, then we carry with us God's presence and spirit. So it doesn't matter whether you're in prison or having the greatest moment of your life, God is with you. That is the promise of what Peter is saying to these people. And I think what carried early disciples like Paul to go through difficult circumstances I would argue in Western Christianity, generally, we have a Holy Spirit-sized hole in us sometimes. We need to understand that God's presence and Spirit is with us. And we then are allowed to live from a deeper place that isn't just defined by everything that might be happening to you in a certain day. And we need that individually to press more into God, but then we also need other people to come around us. And that's one reason why I think Paul writes with such joy, because he has these partnerships with these people, and he deeply loves them. And not only is it like love, like, oh, we all just love each other. They have acted on that love. Philippians 4 tells us this. This is one, like, why he's writing this letter uh, back to these people. He says, I've received full payment. There we go, right? there. I've, I've received full payment and more than enough. I'm amply satisfied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. This messenger came and brought Paul some money or some food. When you were in prison in that day, it wasn't like a cot and three meals. You had to find a way to either have people bring you food or would, would give you some money to pay for food for a while. So I have received these gifts. They are a blessing. You, church community in Philippi, you have reminded me 
of God. You don't just have the concept of love like it's a really good idea and it's really awesome and it's, it's so nice. And instead, you actually act on it. You do it. Praise God for you because of your partnership in the gospel. And this journey wasn't easy. We don't think enough probably about geography, but to get these supplies from Philippi to Rome, here's a map, and on the map, the orange stars, that's Philippi and Rome. So you would have had to go at least some part by land, some part by sea perhaps, or go the northern route all the way on land. If you're going on on land all the way, it's at least a month. If you're going by land and sea, it's probably two and a half weeks and much more treacherous because they didn't take cruises back then. The water was dangerous. This is no small thing, right? He's been hooked up by these people. They have taken care of him. It's always nice when, when somebody hooks you up. I was visiting with Sean this week because he was fixing my hair. And uh, as, as he fixed my hair, we were talking about our affinity for the Trader Joe's that is close by to here and the samples that they have there. And uh, he said, did you get the carnitas and chip sample earlier? I was like, yeah, it was good. And he's like, did they give you the pumpkin spice muffin too? And they didn't give me the pumpkin spice muffin. He's like, it was my man, Mitch. He got something from the back. I'm like, okay, apparently I don't don't have as good of friends as Sean does. Uh, So I'm reevaluating my my friendship with the people at at Trader Joe's. But we know what it is to be hooked up, right? It's like not just what's there, but the pumpkin spice muffins from the back too. You know, it's it's somebody who has, has hooked us up and taken care of us. And so this church cares enough about Paul and his circumstance to do this unbelievable thing. They've acted on this love. It's not just that they love him. They're willing to act on it. And not only that, but they're willing to associate with Paul. He's going all over the known world saying Jesus is Lord in a world that says Caesar is Lord. Would that put you high on anybody's priority list, right? Probably the terrorist watch list, right? You don't want to be on the list that Paul is on. Yet, this church, Epaphroditus, goes because they care so much about Paul and his ministry. They're willing to risk everything for Paul. Do you want to have joy in your life? Sacrifice. Get some people in your life like that. Who you're willing to lay down your life for to be in spirit-led community together. Because in that, I think we're reminded of, of some really important truths. I think we're reminded over and over again of the love of God. Because we constantly need that reminder One of my favorite parts of the prodigal son story is we don't know if the older brother ever went into the party. We have to ask that question of ourselves all the time. Am I going to enter in? Am I going to be joyful? Or am I going to stand outside? But what does it look like for you to to pour your life out? And then what's great about that is we remind each other of the very goodness and nature of God. One of the things that I think is is troubling in in our world today is we 
feel like we're in control. And in realities, in some ways, we are in control of a lot of stuff. With technology that is on our person all the time, we have an unbelievable amount of, of power, and control, and influence. And in some ways, it leads us to more anxiety. And I think deeper, what can happen to all of us is we start to think subtly that God can't really do anything, if we're honest. That, you know, I'm pretty in control of stuff. I'm in control of my lot, of, lot of my situation. So, you know, God can't really do, you know, God, every once in a while, I might call on you to help out a little bit, but you're not really doing that much. And sometimes spiritual leaders can do this. I know I, I've been guilty of having meetings where I'll start the meeting and just say, let's, let's pray, you know, God, please join us here. And it's like, God's like over in the corner, like, oh, it's bowling night and I really need to beat Peter. Um, so... Um, I guess, I guess I'll go. You know, you've guilted me. You've guilted me into this. You know, we can start to act like it's like, you know, I'm the one who, who calls God to this place when I think what, what Paul would say is you need a, a deeper awareness of seeing God's presence even in difficult circumstances. You need an understanding that God is with you at all times, in all places. That when you are baptized when you give your life to to Jesus, that's like a a never-ending thing. That is what it is. That is your new reality that God is always with you. Author Parker Palmer says it this way, we can easily become functional atheists where we believe that ultimate responsibility uh, rests on us. Did you feel like everything rests on you? And I know there's a lot of stress and anxiety in this room. Our, our lives can be hard. Your job is probably hard. The things that you're responsible for, yes, it, it's a lot. I'm not saying that it's not. But what would it look like for you to maybe work really hard and get through everything and, and, and work at your job, use your talents, use your gifts, but then to say, God, you are in control. And you're going to realize this whether you like it or not, because there's going to be sometimes when you're working really hard and you don't get the right result, and it's frustrating, and then you're going to realize it one way or another. What would it look like for you to just say, God, you are in control? Because what would you say if you're able to go and like transport yourself 2,000 years ago to Paul in prison? You'd probably say, hey, it's really awesome I'm here first. Thanks for the time travel. But I think you'd say to him, that letter that you just wrote, you have no idea how much of an impact it's going to have. And I know that you're struggling right now. You're wondering what's going to happen next. You're not sure if your life is going to be over or not. You're just unsure what what is exactly going to go on, what's going to happen in you. I know. I know it's hard. I know it's frustrating. My friend Paul, that letter isn't just going to make it to Philippi. 2,000 years from now, because of your witness, because of how you lived, people are still going to be talking about this. 
And I know it's hard for you, and it's, it's, maybe you don't even understand what this means, but Nero, the one who's in charge right now, the one who is persecuting Christians worse than anybody ever has, in just a few years, he's going to get so anxious about being assassinated. He's going to kill himself. Because if you worry about control and maintaining control, eventually you're going to realize you can't control that forever. So Paul, I know that you feel weak right now, that you're like this, this person is about to get stamped on by Rome. I know that you feel weak, but you have no idea how strong you are. So hold on. Live with, live, live with integrity. Don't give up hope. Continue to press into the reality that God has called you to, a reality that's so much bigger than this prison cell. What would somebody tell you 2,000 years from now? Or 50 years from now? Or 100? What would somebody tell you, hold on, I know it's difficult. I know it's sometimes hard to to see God in the world, but believe God is with you. God is in control. Paul writes to this church as he doesn't know what's going to happen with his life. He says, I have such joy as I pray for you because I know that even though my circumstances aren't great in here, I'm going to wrestle with that a little bit more further in this letter. I'm confident that even if I die, God is going to continue to work in you. You believe that God is on the throne. What would it look like for you, maybe you don't do this at all, to spend some time in prayer, even if it's five minutes, just saying, you know, there's a lot of cares and anxieties, and God, I'm just going to put those on you for five minutes and not let those things just cause my head to keep spinning for a little bit. What would it look like for you, just a few minutes a day, to say, God, you are in control. Your spirit is here with me. And I'm going to live like that matters in the faith community that I'm a part of. So that at those moments when I desperately need reminding, they will be there for me. What would it look like for you to live with a deeper sense of God's abiding joy? Let's pray. God, we lift you up. We acknowledge something that we aren't always good at acknowledging, that you are with us at all times and that you're in control. Father, may we find deeper joy and meaning by pressing more firmly into that. Father, we lift you up as our Lord and we ask that we would once again get a fresh reminder of your presence and your love for us. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
And this morning, uh, we get a, a fantastic opportunity to celebrate in someone's joy. Uh, Morgan, if you will come come down front. Morgan and I have gotten to know each other. If you don't know her, she's been part of our church for the last five months. And she got to share with me about her, her faith journey and what that's looked like. And she and I got to talk about baptism yesterday. And uh, she is going to put Jesus on in baptism this morning, which is awesome. And I just, I just want to say that um, as, as a church community and, and to you, you're somebody that we, that we always pray about. That we pray that God would send people to us who are seeking him. And I'm thankful for your heart and your, your willingness to do that. And we love you very much. So, like we, we talked about yesterday, uh, I'd like to just have, have your, your confession of faith. So do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins? I do. Let me get that on mic for you. I do. She does. It's on mic. It's on mic. It's good. <laughs> awesome. Well, because of your confession of faith, I will now head up there uh, to, to do the baptism. So. Sing a song while they're getting ready up there. 